Well, welcome, Mission View Church. Um, my name is Joe, and I am the new pastor here. So uh, thanks for having me, and I'm so excited that God called me here. In our world today, we have an immense desperation for change. We want the end of racism. We want the end of police brutality, police reform. We want the economy to change right now because there's so many people without jobs. We want the way we gather, even as a church, to change right now. We want COVID to go away. We want COVID to stop killing people that we love. As a collective society, right now, the entire world, as a human race, we are absolutely desperate for change. You see, but individually, that's also true. Individually, there are so many of us that also want change in our lives. I know I would like to change, and this is kind of a funny thing that I want changed, but I would like to be a much less grumpy human being. I want that to change for myself. And for many of you like me, if you've been experiencing COVID and coronavirus and staying at home in close proximity to the, one, to the ones that you love the most, maybe it's roommates, maybe it's your children, maybe it's your mom or dad, you're realizing right now, oh my gosh, I need to change. So many husbands want to change to be better husbands. Wives want to change to be better wives. Fathers want to change to be better fathers. Mothers, they want to change. They want to nurture and love their children. They want to become better mothers. Daughters, sons, they want to change. They want to please their parents and please the Lord whom they love. Employees, a lot of employees today, they want to change. They want to please their employer, their boss. They want to change and become a better employee. Students. Students want to change. They want to do the best that they can in their video classrooms and finish their homework so they can get those straight A's. Friends. Friends want to become better friends. We all are desperate for this kind of change in our lives. Something a little bit less deep and more surface level is we want our bodies to change. Right? So many of us look to dieting, look to exercise, to change our bodies the way we look, the way we feel, the energy that we have when we wake up in the morning. We all want change. We are desperate for change. And you see, everyone has their own ideas on how to change. People who want police reform today, I've seen literally, um, they're sending policies out uh, to their parties and stuff saying, this is how I would change the police system. People all have opinions and ideas. Right? All the diet programs out there. 
There are so many diet programs. We want this to change for our bodies so that we can feel better, so that I can look better. There, there is book after book after book about marriage. There are so many books that are sold out there so that people will change. Psychologists have ideas on how to change people. Emotional coaches, coaches, it's like, how do I change, you know, this, I'm feeling this, how do I change this? Everyone's got ideas on how to change. There are so many books, websites, companies, and more founded on the idea of helping people to change. Well, here's what we can learn from that. God has designed us, humanity, to change. We are designed to change. And we hear this question asked all the time. You know, a disaster comes in, coronavirus hits, uh, riots, and all these things start happening. What does everyone ask? Everyone asks, how do I change? How do we change? This is a natural question for us to ask. Well, here's the thing. If we want change, where should we look first and foremost? You see, the good news is that God has designed us to change so we can change. So I want you to listen super closely right now because if you're not going to remember anything else from this morning, from this sermon, I want you to remember this sentence and we'll talk about it more as we go. But this is how we answer the question on how God changes us. This is it. Change comes when we remember God's judgment of sin, law, God's law revealing sin, and God's salvation from sin. That is how God changes us. So if you don't have a Bible, I want you to get up right now to your living room or in your kitchen. Go grab your Bible. I want you to follow along with me. And I want you to open it up to Malachi chapter 4. We're going to end our series today in Malachi, the how-tos of Malachi. We're going to end it today. And I want you to follow along with me as I read Malachi chapter 4. So go grab your Bible, and in the meantime, while you're doing that, I'm going to pray. Lord God, your word deeply penetrates our soul and our mind and the truth, of it, the truth of it impacts change. And so we ask, Lord, that this morning, may you teach us, teach us on how to change. May we learn your formula on the way you change us. That we move as a society more closer to you, Lord. So teach us this morning. May we learn from your word right now as we open it up to Malachi chapter 4. Amen. So I'm going to start reading in verse 1, Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from, from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. 
on the day when I act, says the Lord. All right, we're going to pause right there. You see, change comes when we remember God's judgment of our sin. And he, he says it right there. The day is coming. The judgment day is coming. You know, I've, I've, we've been going, as we've been going through this uh, sermon series in Malachi, I've noticed there has been a lot of judgment on the people of Israel through the prophet Malachi. There's been a ton of judgment, specific judgments. And for every one of their acts, there's been a specific judgment, right? So the specific people and specific judgments over these. So these are going to come up on your screen real quick. But I literally sat down this week and I went through the entire four chapters of Malachi and I wrote down every people group that's being judged and every specific act that God is judging of theirs, right? I did that and then I decided to actually translate this so that we could understand it today and how these people and how they impact us, right? So, so you can see in there in Malachi, um, the priests were judged for polluting the, the worship sacrifices that the Israelites were bringing. The priests were judged for allowing this pollution of worship in the temple. Right? So that's a specific judgment from Malachi to the people. And like I said, I translated that today. So that one would be the pastors, the leaders, the elders of the church were judged for allowing the worship services in the church to be polluted today, right? That would be a specific judgment, right? So I, we're going to go through these real quick because I think it's super insightful to see all the people that God judges and what upsets him and what he doesn't like and what they do today to do that. So they're coming up on, on the, the screen, but I'm going to read them real quick. So number one, people who know about Jesus Christ but do not truly know Jesus Christ, those people are going to be judged. The pastors are church leaders who pollute the worship services. The cheats who offer half-hearted or hypocritical worship. The pastors and church leaders who do not listen to the Holy Spirit's leading, they're going to be judged. The pastors and church leaders for causing people to stumble. The people who are unequally yoked to non-believers in marriage. People who divorce their spouses for unjust reasons. People who are faithless to God. People who believe they and others have the ability to be Good people. Sorcerers will be judged. Adulterers will be judged. Liars will be judged. Oppressive employers will be judged. People who oppress widows will be judged. People who oppress the fatherless will be judged. People who mistreat or withhold justice from immigrants will be judged. Ultimately, God will judge anyone who doesn't fear him. People who rob God of his money that he let them borrow. And the people who are arrogant will be judged. And the people who do evil, all these people will be judged. See, in verse 1 of our text, verse 1 of chapter 4, Malachi is not talking about all these specific little judgments that are coming. Malachi is talking about the day of ultimate judgment that is to come. But we can learn something, right? Because this is the culmination of these entire three chapters. It's chapter four. This is the ending in the summary of Malachi's message. And so 
you know, the, all the Israelites have been feeling all these little specific judgments. They're getting knocked out by all these things that they say, these are all the things you're doing wrong. And this is what I'm going to judge. And so now he points to, but ultimately there is one judgment day that is coming. Right, he, he points at the end of verse 1, there is no branch that is going to be left, right? And that, that ties into John 15. John, the apostle, took that in John 15 and he said these, the, the branches will all be piled up and burned. Every branch that doesn't bear fruit is going to be piled up and burned and set ablaze. That comes from John 15 in the New Testament. This is the, the day, the one single day that God is going to separate the sheep from the goats, So, welcome Joe to Mission View and I'm speaking about judgment. You see, many people today believe that the God of Christianity is an unjust God because he promises to judge and condemn the wicked. So many people believe that today. Well, I want to give you a short little illustration of why I think that's not true. You see, I'm a, I'm a father to a seven-month-year-old little baby named Naomi. And every once in a while, I have these like split-second fears that go through my mind. I'm sure you guys have had this, but I've had this one. You know, she's now in her crib in the other room, and we're sleeping in our bedroom. And, uh, and Naomi's over there, and every once in a while, I'm like, oh gosh, I hope someone doesn't come in here, into our house, invade our privacy, snatch up Naomi and run out the door. I've had that fear. I'm like, whew, that's a scary thought. Where did that come from? Well, let me just say, if that happened, me as Naomi's father, I would be right to be angry. I would be right to be wrathful. I would be right to be upset that someone is kidnapping my child. I would be right to be angry at an act like that, an act so wicked to take a seven-month-year-old away from her mother. You see, God, he is just for judging the wicked. He would be unjust if he wasn't angry and wrathful over wicked and evil acts. In verse 1, we're told that the judgment day is coming and it's burning like an oven. You know, imagining that my baby girl being taken out of her bedroom, internally I can feel that burning like an oven within me. You see, here's the truth. God, our God, the God of Christianity is just because he judges the wicked and the wicked deeds that they do. He is just for that. And he would be an unjust God if he didn't judge the wicked. And you see, he has that burning like an oven sensation whenever something unjust happens, like all the specific judgments we just went through before. But here's a little glimpse of hope in verse 2. 
Let me read it. But for you who fear my name, right there. But for the ones who fear my name, there's one characteristic of those who will not be judged. It's those who realize that God has the power to, to judge and that fear his name. Those are the people that when they, on judgment day, see the burning of the wicked, the burning will feel like the sun of righteousness upon their face. Sun, not S-O-N, sun, S-U-N. I was reading this and I couldn't, I couldn't get it out of me how vivid this picture of judgment is in the first three verses of Malachi chapter four. It is so vivid. Let's be honest, this is not pleasant to talk about. It really is not. It is not pleasant. But I can't stand it when people that are Christians summarize the goal of Christianity is all I have to do to be a Christian is to be nice. I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to be nice. Yes, I agree you are a Christian and you should be nice because God is a kind God. But you cannot take away the doctrine of judgment and God's wrath because then you're not being nice anymore. I just told you the story of a kidnapper. I can't be nice to this kidnapper taking away my baby girl. If I was nice in that moment, I'd just let him do it. And then I'd be a horrible father. You cannot boil down Christianity to just being nice. Right? So the final judgment is coming. It's coming. I had a fantastic professor in seminary that, that constantly said this, and I, I, I literally remember it today. This is years ago. He said, whenever you see God's judgment in the Bible— you will always see God's mercy alongside it. Whenever you see God's judgment, you will also see God's mercy. You just have to find it. It's there. And so in here, you know, I see it. Those who fear my name, there's a little bit of mercy here. The fact that I am preaching this sermon right now, the fact that we get to read this, this is mercy See, God has sent the message of judgment that is coming. And guess what? We know that. How merciful is that that a loving God gives us the message that judgment is coming and so you know it's coming. I want you to fear me. Because this judgment that, that is coming, it does cause me to fear him. He does have the power to destroy me. This is powerful he is a merciful God. Okay, so how does the judgment day coming change our lives today? How does it change our lives today? Well, first off, it's a promise of change. Change is coming no matter what. You can't avoid that. Change is coming. Whether you wait for judgment day, change is coming. Whether you choose to fear his name today, change is coming. It's a promise that change will come. The change, the desperate desire for change that we want, it's coming through his judgment. So individually, we can also learn about this. Because this judgment, those specific judgments that we went through, that list, 
those specific judgments are reminders that we individually are also judged based on our actions. But here's a little bit more good news. You see, for Christians, the punishment of that judgment, it actually happens to Jesus on the cross. Because of his perfect sacrifice, all that judgment, those specific judgments we talked about, and the final day of judgment that's coming, all of that lands on Christ on the cross. And because of his perfect sacrifice, he takes on that judgment. And the fact that God does this actually breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because I see Jesus Christ, our Messiah, the God that has to take the punishment for my sin, the the anger that I have for that kidnapper taking my little girl. That anger, God takes that. That burning like an oven, God takes that on Jesus Christ on the cross. When we remember the judgment of our individual sinful actions, when we remember that these actions, the judgment for that was endured by Christ on the cross, that actually moves us to change. It moves us to change. So like I said, change comes when we remember God's judgment of our specific sin. So what do we do? If we get sinned against, if we are in pain, if someone stabs us in the back, a friend maybe that we trust, if someone clothed in the uniform of justice unjustly murders someone who is supposed to protect, what do we do? Well, let's read verse 4. Verse 4 says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. You see, change comes when we remember God's law reveals our sin. So verse 4, he tells us to remember the law I gave to your servant Moses. You see, the greatest commandment we have, right? Someone came up to Jesus and says, How do, what's the greatest commandment from the law and the prophets, right? Well, Jesus says the greatest commandment we have is we must love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And we must, the second one is like it. We must love our neighbor as yourself. Right? All of this sums, sums up the law, right? Which is the Bible, The Bible, the law comes from scripture. The the law comes from this book. And we must remember that. Hebrews 4.12 actually talks about uh, the word of God being like a double-edged sword. I really wanted to find a double-edged sword so I could wheel it up here for you, but couldn't find one, I'm sorry. But the word of God is like a double-edged sword that cuts deeply to the marrow, to the bone, says Hebrews 12. It cuts you and it goes to the core. It doesn't stay on the surface and just skim like, oh, that's not good. No, it goes to the core, right? We see this with Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, I've come to fulfill the law, right? The law that teaches you not to eat pork and all these things. He says, but the law is deeper than that. And he goes to the core, to the heart of an individual, right? He he says things like, 
Okay, adultery is bad, yes, but even if you lust after a woman, you're committing adultery in your heart. Right, that's what he's talking about. That's what Hebrews 4.12 is talking about. That it cuts to the marrow. It cuts to the core of who we are. So there's been a lot of protests and riots this week and all these things. And we want, we want to make all these massive changes for the collective, for everybody. We want to, let's change everything. But when I was reading Malachi 4 and preparing this message, I could see that this, this chapter was actually changing me. I was being reminded of God's judgment. I was being reminded of, to study the law, the Bible, God's word. And as I was studying it, within me, I was re- it, I, it was revealing sins within me. Like this week, you know, my grumpiness. That's why I mentioned that before. I was like, why am I so grumpy, man? That's not a fruit of the Spirit. See, collectively, the law, the Bible does change our society. But also individually, the law changes us when we know it when we know the law, when we know God's word, it changes us. So many uh, Christians are all about memorizing the word, and I am too. I I love memorizing the Bible, but we got to go even deeper than memorizing scripture. It's not just about memorizing. It's about knowing, right? It's so easily to compartmentalize memorization, Right? Memorization is a tool that you can use to have it be within you and come out when you're most angry or your emotions run deep. You want scripture to come out of you. Right? And that doesn't just come from memorization. It comes from letting the word of God cut deeply into your heart. That's what happens. So, so I, have, I have three things for those that might feel a little like, okay, you're, now, Joe, you're telling me to read my Bible more. Okay, that's typical. That's lame. Why are you telling me this? Okay, well, I've, I have three quick things. First, it, I don't want you to feel guilt or shame surrounding anything in this book. Guilt and shame is not what you're supposed to be feeling when it comes to God's word. You see, reading your Bible is not an everyday requirement for you to have salvation. It's not. Remember that. There's no work that you can do to save yourself. God saves you. He does that work. So you don't have to work to read this so that you can be saved and go to heaven. No! It's just not true. Don't ever let, your, let the devil tell you those lies. Number two, if you feel like guilty for not knowing enough of this book or even just guilty, oh, I didn't do my God time or Bible study or my quiet time this morning. If you feel guilty in any way about that, those things, you know, I don't want you to. But also there's times when if, if this is kind of the culmination of your feelings in regards to your, your God time, quiet time, whatever you call it, most likely you're not understanding it as much as you should. Right? And you may just need a little bit of guidance because this rolls into my point number three of what I want you to know and take out of this message in regards to God's law and the word. It's, 
I want you to fall in love with God's word. You know it when you fall in love with it. And if there's guilt and shame attached to this book, you're not going to fall in love with it. No one can guilt or shame you into reading this book. You can't guilt and shame your way into loving a person, let alone a book, let alone God's word. So if you need some help in understanding this book, I want you to send me an email. When you have a question, send me an email. Reach out to someone on staff or a pastor that you know or a community group leader. Call, text, what? I read this, what does this mean? Those are the questions that help you understand it and help you fall in love with this book. And remember, change comes when we remember God's law which reveals our sin. That's when change comes. All right, let's read Malachi verses five and six. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. I, we got this question this week. Why Elijah? Has Elijah come yet? Is Elijah coming? Where, who's this Elijah guy anyway? A lot of people ask that question. A lot of times this question is asked in regards to, I want to know when the end time is coming, so tell me when Elijah's coming. Has he come yet? I want to know when Jesus is returning. Everyone wants to know that. We don't know. Jesus says, it's not for you to know the time and place of my return. But here's the, the question we should, ask, we should ask is why is Elijah mentioned here? Well, it's interesting. If you go study what Elijah's ministry entailed, there's a couple things that stand out. And one of them is uh, Elijah was actually part of destroying a lot of the false prophets back in the day. Right? The staff recently went through 1 Kings and we were studying this. The, the prophet Elijah was bringing down the false prophets prophets, right? God actually destroyed them, but it was through Elijah's ministry. And then later, Elijah stumbles upon a widow whose son died, and Elijah goes in and he lays across this young child who is dead. He, he lays on him like this. He breathes into his mouth and breathes life back into this son of a widow, right? So Elijah brings the dead to life. And thirdly, Elijah was known for passing off his tremendously fruitful ministry to one called Elisha, right? He went and took Elisha from what he was doing and said, come follow me. And he passed off his ministry, right? So the reason why Malachi is mentioning Elijah here and that there's one to come like Elijah to prepare the way for this messenger is because of what Elijah's ministry stood for. Tremendous fruit, the tearing down of false teachers, bringing the dead to life and preparing a way for the one who's going to do those things, the ultimate one. That's why Malachi mentions Elijah, right? So Jesus indicates in Matthew eleven fourteen that Elijah did come and he's John the Baptist. But he also indicates that Elijah is coming, right? So there's this like, okay, Scholars are divided on this. I went and read some commentaries. Scholars are divided. Did he come? Did he not? I think the thing we need to take away from this is Elijah's ministry prepares the way for Jesus Christ to come. 
and ultimately for Jesus Christ to also return. Right, so collectively, salvation from sin gives us hope in a future, perfect kingdom with Christ Jesus on the throne. Right, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ Jesus is our Lord. Right, so if you've never heard the message of the gospel, I want you to individually ask this question. Am I going to be on the wrong side of that fire, of that oven that's coming to destroy the branches that are going to be piled up and set ablaze? Am I going to be on the wrong side of that? I want you to individually ask that question today. And if so, what what are you supposed to do? Well, Malachi tells us you are supposed to fear God. Right? And the gospel tells us the good news of Jesus Christ has already come. The good news is that Jesus Christ bore all of that judgment, the wrath of God for your sin so that he can save you. So that you can have eternal life with your creator and be reconciled. That's the gospel. That's the good news of salvation. And when we accept and believe in that message, there's nothing we have to do. We just live free. And we just await as God changes us. All right, change comes when we remember God's salvation from the sins that we have. That's the change that comes. All right, so Malachi chapter 4 gives us the formula on how to change. Right, we want police reform. We want the end of riots. We want this coronavirus to go away. Well, we need to be asking more important questions like, am I going to change because of God? Are you going to change? And if so, how do we do it? So here's the promise from Malachi chapter 4. Change comes when we remember God's judgment of sin, God's law revealing our sin, and God's salvation from our sin. Because that's the good news. And remember, there is no good news without some bad news. And the bad news is that the wicked will be judged. The bad news is that God is wrathful of the wicked. We don't want that. But the bad news is there. And without that news, we don't have the good news of salvation from those things. Of Jesus Christ on the cross, saving us, redeeming us, and changing us so that we can be his bride and his church. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for revealing the message of judgment to us so that we can accept and embrace your loving mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your word who's re- that is revealed to us specially that we can know you and live for you, and be with you as we endure through the tragedies in our world right now, as we endure and steadfastly watch and even be a part of the injustices and the justice reconciliation that is to come. Help us, Lord, to do that collectively, but also individually. Help us, Lord, to see within ourselves Even for me, Lord, change my grumpiness. Change me, Lord. All of us have that one sin that we struggle with and we want change from. 
But Lord, help us to see your judgment over that specific sin. Help us to see how God reveals that sin to us through your word and your Bible. And help us, Lord, to accept the salvation. The salvation from this sin and redemption of it so we may turn and repent. You are so good, God. And we love you and we thank you. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So quick note, uh, I'm so excited. I am desperate to see this room full and packed with you guys here. I cannot wait. I, I was talking to Randy a little bit before um, and I said, Randy, I miss you. <laughs> I can't wait to see you every week. I desperately miss you. Um, and I know a lot of you are probably feeling that. Well, here's the good news. Next week on June 14th, we're actually going to be meeting together with all these uh, you know, social distancing friendly uh, guidelines we have put in place. Uh, if you want to see more details about those things, uh, you can check out our website. You'll see something like this on our website and also on Facebook where you can learn all about the things we're doing uh, to kind of healthily um, and safely gather again next week. So with that, I cannot wait to see you guys. So see you next week.